1: Welcome to the New Books Network. I'm your host, Chris Babbitts. Today's guest is Hildy Lovedall stevens the author of Family Matters, James Dobson, and Focus on the Family's Crusade for the Christian Home, published by the University of Alabama Press. Family Matters, doctor Lovedall Lovedal-Stevens shows how Dr. James Dobson, child psychologist, author, radio personality, and founder of the Christian conservative organization Focus on the Family, reached millions of American evangelical households shaping the cultural sensibilities and political attitudes of evangelical families throughout the culture wars from the 1980s into the 2000s. Most poignantly, Dr. Lovedall-Stevens explores how Dobson's influence over how evangelicals defined and defended the traditional family as an ideal and as a symbol in an ever-changing world happened. Thank you so much for being with us, Hilda. Thanks for having me. To get things started, could you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself?
0: All right, um, yes, uh, I am a uh, visiting associate professor of English at the University, university of Southeastern Norway. So, English is a very uh, multidisciplinary field uh, in Norway. So, I teach a little bit of this and that, uh, and I try to get in some American studies into the class that I teach. Um, my interest in American evangelicalism and folks in the family, and James Dobbs in particular, uh, is like quite a few people who work on religious uh, history, American religious studies. Uh, is tied with some personal stories. I grew up in the Norwegian Bible Belt, which is very influenced by American evangelicalism. And um, James Stopson was someone I didn't really know much about, but he kept popping up whenever I read about evangelicalism in, in America. So which was just driven by this this question like this is a guy who's so important but we don't really know much about him here um and it just started there and uh now the book came out uh last fall and uh i hope i wrote a book that people will enjoy and people will read and be inspired to look more into um what james stopson did because there's so much more to do
1: And as I told you, I I think this is an absolutely wonderful book about James Dobson. Thank you. I was wondering if you could actually start off by talking about Dobson and his religious and professional background and how this kind of fed into the creation and growth of Focus on the Family from the 1970s into the 21st century. Mm
0: -hmm. Well, James Dobson, his background is in uh, the holiness tradition in the Church of Nazarene. And he was a... a preacher's child. Uh, His parents were traveling evangelists for the Church of a Nazarene throughout most of his childhood. And he moved around in the American South. He was born in Louisiana. He lived uh, uh, there. He um, graduated from high school in uh, Texas on the border to Mexico. And he ended up in, um, in Southern California. Like so many of his generation, he ended up um, in South California, he went to college there in Pasadena, where um, people like Darren Dochuk have described that area as so like this place where so many people from the South and Midwest ended up in, in Southern California. Um, and that's where James Dobson uh, went to college. He went to Nazarene school. Um, and that's where he first got in touch with Clyden Naramore, who was one of the pioneers of evangelical psychology. And he encouraged James Dobson to, uh, to pursue a, a career in, in psychology. Uh, so he went to um, the University of Southern, Cali- Southern California, where he got a degree in child development. Um, so he was really one of the first people to get a degree in um, psychology uh, in the evangelical world. Um, so um, he had quite a few different um, mentors in early in his career. Clyde Naramore is one of them. Uh, Narramore was like D- James Dobson. which later he combined writing books and having a radio program. Uh, so James Dobson, and after he finished his degree at USC, he started working as an assistant professor at USC, but he also worked for uh, Paul Popino, um, uh who's like a secular family therapist who had um, one of the premier institutes for um Marital Counseling in Los Angeles. So James Dobson worked there and he started uh, putting together family seminars on um, parenting and family life that he traveled around churches and held these seminars with Joyce Landorf. And he also started writing books. So in 1970, his first book came out was Dare to Discipline, which is it was just known as the, the, the book on spanking. Um, but it was, but it's, it's a book on so much more. Uh, than just uh, spanking children. I can get back to that. Uh, But in 1970, his first book came out and um, it became a hit. And in 1977, um, he chose to turn to radio and in 78 also uh, video because traveling was too much of a toll for for the young family man James Thompson. So it really took off from there in 1977. And then the You know, he was one of the pioneers of Christian video, um, so that really took off. Um, So in the 1970s, um, when he turned to 1980s, he became more a political figure. Um, He started Family Research Council and uh, just like had a massive explosion of different sub-ministries that the ministry had throughout the 80s and into the 90s, uh, became more and more known as a group that worked politically. As they moved over to uh Colorado Springs, uh, which was the seat of the emerging Christian right at the time. Um and James Dobson, he uh, um he led folks in family or was like the, the figurehead for that, that group until 2010, when he had a quite dramatic break from the group, um, and then started Family Talk, which he now has has been leading now for 10 years. There was a start that was uh, moved from being in this um, small community in Texas in this kind of smallish denomination, uh, Church of Nazarene, to becoming really one of the uh, figures that shaped American evangelicalism. Um, You know, he published with key evangelical publishers um, and he worked with so many different evangelicals, um, key figures in American evangelicalism.
1: And I think one of the things that your book does really well is show how Dobson taps into and shapes this emerging evangelical therapeutic culture that really uh, gained a lot of steam in the second half of the 20th century. How did he do this?
0: Well, he he was just, uh, he combined so many different trends at the time. Uh, he um, combined this idea that um, evangelicals could have this middle-class respectability it was this group of people that had been um struggling more financially but had become more solid middle class with a, a professional book culture with professional uh, media culture so they had the means of uh, the middle class um and then just um uh, psychology this you know uh super middle class um way of dealing with uh, with problems, uh, personal problems. Uh, it was just like a kind of a baptized version of, of, um, of secular family therapist in a way. But it did this in a way that was uh, really tied the, the personal and political in a way that was really fit with um, growing concerns in uh, evangelical self-culture. It tied in the this, um, this, these private matters with more political and national concerns. Um, in my book, I, I, I discuss how um, someone like uh, Ruth Rosen, who's argued that feminism, for instance, uh, ceased to be uh, a political force because it became kind of um, shaped by therapeutic feminism and it turned into like uh, more like personal fulfillment and and privates private issues, um, but that was like a turn that really fit well with evangelicalism that has this focus on the individual as to the point where um, politics, national security and all these things um, are solved. So James Dobson, he, he, was, um, he was able to offer this kind of therapy talk that people recognized from mainstream culture, but he like has therapy talk with like an a evangelical accent
1: You've already mentioned his first book, which was Dare to Discipline*, and, and you rightly mentioned it that, that it's almost derided as this as the spanking book. But there's there's a lot to it too, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so one of my my big questions here was: What were the concerns that uh, animated Dobson's rise as a family values culture warrior, and, and were they already apparent in Dare to Discipline*?
0: Yes, many of the many of the issues that he would uh, focus on later on were there. He had a chapter on sex education um, where he um, warned against this comprehensive comprehensive sex education um, curriculum that was tried out in schools in the 60s. Um, I mean, uh, he had a chapter on drugs. Uh, he addressed uh, civil rights movements. Um, he addressed women's liberation movement. So many things that later become like key issues from already there. Um, he, um, I mean, spanking—that was just like one part of this of this uh, warning against turning away from parental authority and this uh, um, kind of law and order uh, approach to society that he promoted. Their discipline. Um, there were so many things that he he really wanted to say with that book. It was a political tract just as much as a, as um, a parenting book. And it's it's kind of you know mostly seen as a parenting book, but if you if you read it and sit down and look at it, it's really um like a way how to how to solve problems in schools. You know, he had um, he spent some time teaching in the public school system in Los Angeles uh, during his uh, graduate school years, so he had like very personal experience from what is happening in American schools at the time in California, where he had this 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 a combination of quite li- quite a few liberal forces shaping the school with uh, sex education programs being developed in, in in the States and this influx of, of conservatives, uh, religious conservatives. So um, he yeah, had this is really deep personal experiences. And not, let's not forget, like now that we're watching um, um, protests and riots after the, um, uh, the, the killing of... Um, George Floyd in, in Minneapolis, uh, then uh, James Dobson, he was uh, in grad school during the Walsh riots. And the riots happened, you know, really close to campus. Uh, and he saw it, and it really shaped how he viewed um, race relations, for instance. Uh, he talked about the, the dangers of of uh, these youngsters who at protests in the streets, and he really uh, praise the FBI's efforts to to clamp down on any kind of um, civil rights activism.
1: I was wondering if you could talk a little bit more about that because you have this really fascinating chapter about Dobson focused on the family and racial ideology. And mm-hmm. uh, I think a lot of people uh, don't know how complex this relationship was, especially as a, maybe a family values political coalition, was trying to um, break the Democratic stranglehold on African American voters and voting for them in mass and, and whatnot. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit more about what you discussed in that chapter.
0: Yes. Well, um, I mean, the Watts riots really seem to have shaped Dobson, but um, we, we still also remember that he is a child of the South, um, and he often talks about. Being a proud Southerner, um, and he, he there are cases where he um, promotes lost cause kind of uh, approach to uh, American history. I mean, he's praised Robert E. Lee as equal to uh, Ab- Abraham Lincoln as as a hero. With him he promoted the Sower series in the seventies. That was one of the series that um, put out stories about uh, Robert E. Lee as a heroic figure. Um, so he's very much shaped by that. Uh, but um, there was like a real shift in in the late, mid to late 80s, where he admits that he was really, had been really challenged on his approach to um, family values, that he had been only been able to communicate and talk to um, white middle class families um so but from the early 80s he had um black evangelicals come to his studio especially black evangelicals who were in in uh, in southern california so evie hill was one of them um who had been uh part of the kind of civil rights movement had been more like a part of the more kind of a taken more liberal approach to uh, solving race relations uh but he had taken a really turn after the Watts riots and kind of become like a uh conservative uh more aligned with the new christian rights uh another one was Rosa Greer who was a uh, former football player's uh who had also been a liberal activist he had been part of the a free to be New New mean um album um and kind of promoted uh, gender flexibility and kind of more feminist approach to masculinity. Uh, it also had a change of heart. So James Stops worked with these in the uh, early 80s, had them to studio and with them as, as kind of role models on how to um, reach black communities and how to kind of um, promote these values as kind of universal values that could um, fit with anyone. Um, so you had these two, and you also had people like John Perkins, who was, doesn't quite fit in with either the conservative uh, or the liberal mold. So in the early 80s, um, he had also—he's another one who had moved from American South to to Los Angeles in the early 80s. Um, and it's really clear in this interview that Spokesman in Family had with John Perkins in the early 80s that Spokesman Family was really hesitant to embrace any kind of thing that's had any kind of seemed to be linked to the civil rights movement uh the question how he um how he compared himself with um with a more liberal side of of the civil rights movements. um it was like a really like a really clear that they were uh, afraid of, of that kind of activism so they reached out to um, over the years they've worked with quite a few conservative black leaders like Tony, um, Tony Evans, who, um, who, uh, became like one of the big greater personalities, uh, to represent, uh, black evangelicalism. Uh, he had, he broke with, um, with other black evangelicals over the issue, like what, what, how central should a black identity be to black evangelicalism? Uh, so folks in film have really worked to try to like lift these conservative black voices, um, over the years, but one of the most fascinating thing about white evangelicalism and how they've dealt with uh, race issues is how they've embraced the, kind of, the the kind of narrative about abortion as black genocide, which was a kind of surprise to me when the first time I saw it. Um, and it's you know it's like a story that you know would be a great project for someone to tease out a little bit more, like how did that happen? Um, you see it. Uh, like I've seen in folks and families, uh, material from the mid 80s, others, um, but they also found traces of it in the early 80s, where um, white evangelicals pose as like the true friends of the Black community because because they want to protect Black babies from being aborted. Um, and then they've worked with people like um, Aveda King and Sarah Parker and uh, other um, African American women who have promoted uh, this kind of Anti-abortion uh, as a kind of a true cause for Black conservatives, and there are so many different uh, ways that folks in family try to do things, like they um, promoted alternative ways of telling American history uh, that was um, didn't follow the kind of multicultural approach that um, the um, education establishments. Um, thought was uh the better way to do this so um they've you know produced books and radio plays and and videos that tell the story about kind of a a more kind of harmonious past where um you know they emphasize how these white christians were the ones who ended slavery um that um you know um these white heroes uh, made abolition possible, and it's kind of emphasizes like this: this these white Christians um, will the force and all that um, as kind of the true heroes. Of, of but they they kind of align themselves when try to portray, portray themselves as the same as, as them.
1: And I think in addition to this creation of what could be uh, called a Christian heritage culture in the 70s and 80s that has really taken on, Dobson also had this really interesting knack for combining scientific research with what his critics would say were just simply religious beliefs about sex, gender, and sexuality. What were some of the ways Dobson did this, and what ways did this help him appeal to a wider audience?
0: Um. So... James Dobson, he, from the very get-go, he kind of uh, scattered the pages with uh, stories of scientists uh, who had been either uh, completely wrong and kind of ridiculed uh, scientific community on the one hand, uh, while on the other hand, kind of claiming to stand for true scientific methods. Um, So he kind of played into this kind of Hostility that the evangelical movement had against uh, secular education, and he kind of uh, portrayed um, groups like the APA as kind of taken over by these radicals who wanted to uh, change everything about america so um, one of the things that he really pushed when it comes to uh, when it comes to gender sexuality was um, uh, kind of a biological understanding of, of uh, sex and gender. Uh, for instance, he was really influenced by George Gilder, who was one of Reagan's favorite um, thinkers. Um, so what he pushed for this idea that uh, gender was really um, deeply biological, that men and women were born with different um, um, natures. Um, and he really... Kind of spent a lot of time on citing research on, um, uh, you know, on the brain, on on hormones, and you know, and really kind of puts together this narrative about um, these out of touch, um, radical um, academics who didn't really see that what common sense and nature said about biology. So he had that one, the one hand, where he described. Uh, sex drives and gender roles and everything that is rooted in biology but also had this when it comes to homosexuality uh, has promoted this very kind of um, understanding of sexuality as something that's shaped by, um, by how you're raised so it's not all biology uh, after all it's almost like a, a constructivist when it comes to a, um, talking about homosexuality where you have to be um, you have to be um, kind of raised to be a proper heterosexual kind of. So this is this tension um, that's, you know, he has a toolbox and he, he's, you know, where one thing, uh, in one context, he uses this this narrative of, of gender and sex as deeply biological uh, in one context and this other toolbox of, of, of sexuality and gender and uh, as something that's social in other contexts. So he's really good at kind of shifting um, shifting gear depending on what he's talking about I don't know how how much he thinks about it or if it's just something he does but um it is pretty clear when he when he see his discussion of sexuality um he is really one of those who have never have put aside this idea that um sexuality is something that you are um uh, you become because something went wrong in your childhoods and that you can overcome it uh through therapy um
1: I know in my own research, I was really shocked to see this deep evangelical engagement with scientific texts. Like you mentioned the brain study, but then Mm -hmm. also um, so early 80s brain studies uh, talking about uh, using different scanning techniques to think about how men and women are different. But then also in the early 90s, there's all these gay gene studies um, or attempts to isolate a gay gene. And somebody like Dobson just really dives in. To this research and when it confirms some of his deeply held beliefs, he touts it. And uh, in other cases, if it uh, disconfirms it, uh, they almost become Dobson and others almost become like intense social science scientists who can critique every single aspect of a genetic study. It's fascinating to me.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes. And, and they, they really um, engage with all this, and especially in the more kind of political uh, or public policy oriented you know, citizen magazine which there's much there's more of it there than in focus on family which is a magazine that most people read uh or most people received we don't really know how much how many people actually read these magazines that they send out to all those millions of people um but um yes they are really uh deeply uh engaged with like being taken seriously as as um as you know, Scientists, as well educated people, and you know, you see like the staff. The folks in a family has. you see, you know, people have you know advanced degrees from from Fuller, from Trinity, from you know, they've gone to Wheaton. They have you know, uh, they're smart people with backgrounds in in um, in um, higher education, um, and they want to be taken seriously as as professionals and as people who are informed.
1: Your final chapter is titled God and Gays. And in it, you discuss Dobson's opposition to gay rights. What did gay rights strike or why did gay rights strike at the heart of Dobson's message? And what steps did he take to try to create a hate the sin, not the sinner approach to homosexuality?
0: Well, at heart, the whole idea of homosexuality is a big threat to not just Christian family, but civilization itself. Um, one of the kind of the key things he pushed um, over the years is this idea that society will collapse if sexuality is uh, taken out of the context of the heterosexual monogamous marriage. Uh, And he bases this on this belief that, um, um, you know, that, that men who are not tamed by virtuous women go on, you know, turn into criminals, uh, go on a rampage, and side collapses. And this has, you know, at times had a very kind of racial connotation, then, you know, that the reason, um, you know, hail as the reason why um, kind of urban Black uh, family has struggled um, and all these things. And homosexuality is, especially male homosexuality, has been seen as like this ultimate threat to civilization because then you have male sexuality is t- completely removed from the, the family setting and is removed from this uh, womanly influence. So it's not just a matter of like what people do in the privacy of their home, but it has this massive civilizational effect that he is really concerned about. Um, he really thinks that uh, homosexuality together with like abortion, women's liberation, all these things, but they, they really um uh, distort this fine-tuned uh, system that God has created where like men and women are created for for, for heterosexual marriage and that promotes a stable society. So this is something that really goes, you know, at the heart of the matter for why family matters to James Dobson. But it also, you know, it, it also tied in with his professional background as someone who was trained in child development and worked with um. All these issues uh, in academic context until until the late seventies. And um, when it comes to like the whole "hate the sin, not the sinner" uh, method uh, or message, um, it was like a very difficult thing. It's like a, it was a difficult balance to uh, strike for Dobson, it seems. Um, but it comes down to this whole thing that uh, he he sees some sexuality something that's a, a, that's a developmental issue. So um this whole thing that to be gay is a choice, it's that's that's not something a message he has um pushed. I mean it, the distinction makes anxiety like, you, you choose to act out on your uh, emotions and feelings and and um um versus you know try to as he sees control it and to kind of reform your sexuality and the kind of channel in the right direction as he thinks it. Um so this whole thing, hate the sin, not the sinner. Um it's compassion towards someone who's struggling. That's that's kind of the um, where the compassion has been directed. Um, there's more of a kind of aggression towards um, those who are more activist and who try to promote uh, gay rights. Um, so there's like a, a very big distinction, and you see this this kind of uh, distinction in in how they. Um, how they approach different issues, um, and the whole thing about gay rights—that was one of the one of the issues that really uh, kind of catapulted folks in the family to like national debates uh, in the early in the early 90s when the group moved to um, Colorado Springs and immediately just started working um, to promote this um, ban on gay rights ordinances in Colorado. Um, and they really feared that was kind of a uh, kind of a Trojan horse to kind of you know um and religious freedom, uh kind of end the family as they know it, and also take down civilization in the end. So this like um I think that the the um, whoever's been on the receiving end of their criticism would not say that they uh promote like a, I hate the sin of the sinner message. Um because it was definitely deemed as, as hateful by people on the receiving end of it.
1: I think that's a wonderful transition to our last question, which is, do you think Dobson was always a cultural warrior or do you think he grew increasingly combative over time and kind of embraced that, um, that realm in American politics a little bit more?
0: Well, I see Dare to discipline as a political tract and, I would say, I mean, it is a very much, I mean, he has since then been pretty consistent about this whole thing, being very alarmist uh, and saying like, you know, the world's going to end um, or America as we know it is going to end. Uh, but the way he has worked around that has been very different over the years. Um, he started to work more politically in 1980. Uh, when uh, Jimmy Carter organized this White House House Conference on Families, uh, which kind of team, where he teamed up with uh, other conservatives and started um, planning for the Family Research Council, um, and also um, became much more engaged with politics in the 80s. So I, I don't think necessarily, I don't necessarily think he has changed too much, but it's more like the the way he's organized, uh, the tone has always been there. He's always balanced this kind of culture warrior side and the more kind of let's sit down and have a chat about your feelings kind of approach to family, which is one of the reasons why i succeeded because he's been really good at what he's doing uh, when he talks about things that are difficult. And he has, he really had a, a role in, you know, just ha- making Vajalka families maybe kind of less stressed about things like masturbation i mean i didn't think i'd be write so much about masturbation in that book but <laughs> I, it is it is a part of the book and um and it is really it's like this uh it's part of him that it's um yeah this culture where things always been there but it's always been balanced by this kind of sit down and chit chat and talk about your feelings side of him
1: well, Hilda, it has been great getting to chat to you about Family Matters. Thank you so much for joining us today.
0: Thank you. That was fun.
1: For everyone else, head to the University of Alabama Press website to purchase a copy of Hilda's Family Matters. And thank you to our listeners for joining us today at New Books Network. I'm Chris Babbitts, wishing you the best as you engage with cutting-edge works, ed- cutting works of history.